If you would, let's turn to Matthew chapter 2 together this morning. Matthew chapter 2. It's great to have you all this morning, as I already said. I, uh, I hesitate in uh, opening with this illustration for sheer distraction's sake. But um, I think it helps us maybe get a, a quick view or a deeper view of what we're going to talk about uh, today. This last week, you might have seen, uh, I'm sure you did or heard of the news of um, WNBA star Brittany Griner uh, being uh, released or traded for to bring back to the United States. And again, no distraction. I'm no, I don't want to get into the political, your view of what should have happened or shouldn't happen or any of that at the end of the day. Uh, my, my point in sharing that is it's interesting, at the end of the day, if you just understand what, what she might have been walking through or her experience in all of the maybe eight months or whatever it was that she was there. Uh, she was there, and obviously I don't think she wanted to be there. Um, at the end of the day, there really was nothing that she could do about her situation. There was nothing that she could change where she was or how she was being held or how she was being treated, at the end of the day, she was at the control of someone else. There's nothing she could do to actually get out of her situation. She actually needed someone outside of herself with more power, more authority, more leverage, uh, whatever it may be, to literally rescue her, to, to deliver her from the mess that she was actually in. as She was literally in bondage. And uh, she was going to experience a lot of what she didn't really want at the end of the day. And I got to thinking about that because it's amazing how God does this, right? Even in the, in the weeks where I'm preparing and we're looking at something very similar, God gives us a real example or a real view of what that would look like or what that would experience would be like for ourselves. You see, in our, in our, in our thing, in our, in our passage today, excuse me, uh, in our passage today, this is something that we experience that we see directly in Matthew chapter 2 when we look at it in the story of Jesus. Not to give away everything as to where we're going to go and what we're going to look at. At the end of the day, what you're going to see is that we need liberation. If you're new to our church, you're joining us online, at the end of the day, we firmly believe that we are lost and undone as people and we are desperately in need of liberation. Not just once in our lives, but actually every day of our lives, we need a rescuer, an authority, or a power to bring us freedom outside of ourselves. That's the beauty of Christmas at the end of the day. It is the beginning of the restoration process for all of us. It's the beginning of the restoring us back to freedom and true restoration in our relationship with God. And the Christmas story just gives us beautiful pictures of that, of how we, like a real example today, need someone outside ourselves to step into our story and bring about deliverance. And that's exactly what God did. That's what he did through Jesus. That's what I want you to see ultimately today. And all that you hear me say from Matthew chapter 2, I want you to remember our big idea for today, that in Jesus, God offers deliverance. In Jesus, God offers deliverance. That is what we see in our passage. That's what I want you to know. That's what I want you to remember today as you go home, is that in Christ Jesus, we can experience, and God offers deliverance. We started a series this last number of weeks looking at the Christmas account 
in Matthew and seeing some connections to the Old Testament and seeing how the Old Testament is fulfilled. The prophecies of old, many of them within uh, in this section of, of Matthew, are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And it's not just a fulfilling of some abstract truth, but it's actually how we experience our truest longings, how they're fulfilled in our everyday life. And today we see Matthew, as we have the last number of weeks, as he quotes Old Testament prophets, and we see how Matthew shows that it's fulfilled in Jesus. Today is no different. Is Matthew is quoting a prophet by the name of Hosea. Fascinating book, if you ever want to go back and read it sometime. Um, it, it's pretty shocking as what God does to show us a real picture of who we are. And he connects this back to Moses and the Exodus, Matthew does. And he shows the greatest example of liberation in Jewish history, which is the exodus from Egypt. So at the time of Jesus' birth, the Hebrews were longing for a Messiah, as we've already talked about many different times. And they would have remembered. They were, they were Jewish individuals, Israelites. They would have known the word of God. They were longing for a Messiah. They would have remembered passages like Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15 that says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. So Moses is looking ahead and saying, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Tipping his hand to Jesus and who he would come uh, to be. And if you fast forward later on to Hebrews, as Hebrews after the, the, the death and return of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and now Christ is at the right hand of the Father in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 3, this is what the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus, for Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be taken, that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. You see, even in Hebrews here, there's a, there's a comparison being made between Moses and Jesus. And at the end of the day, the point here is, is that Jesus' impact or the impact of Jesus' life brings greater or more complete or much greater deliverance to the people from every tribe, tongue, and nation where Moses was the person which God used to bring about deliverance for the people of Egypt or the people of Israel out of Egypt. Now he's pointing to the fact that Jesus is much greater than that. There's a greater exodus coming. There's a greater liberation that is to come through Jesus Christ. It's not just a physical one. It's actually a spiritual one that is overwhelming. And so today, as we look at Matthew chapter 2 and his quotation of Hosea, I want us to see there's a couple of realities we find in the story of Jesus' birth that I want you to see about the deliverance of God. So if you would look with me in chapter 2 in verse 13, we see, and I want you today to recognize your need for deliverance. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter who you are online, where you're coming from, I want you to recognize your need for deliverance. Look with me in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 2. It says this, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there, excuse me, until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. 
And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. In verse 15, and he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill, see, he's showing how it's fulfilling. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Because he's quoting Hosea. So I want you to see that you need to recognize, we need to recognize our need for deliverance. So just as quickly as the wise men, as we talked about last week, the Magi were there to worship Jesus. Excuse me, they depart, and the focus now turns quickly from the Magi, the the wise men, to now Herod the Great and the Holy Family. And and we saw last week, right, that that Moses sends them and says, hey, if you find uh, the, the king, if you find the king of the Jews, please let me know where he is so that I might too come and worship him. And I said, we know that's a lie because of these verses that Really, at the end of the day, Moses wanted to destroy Jesus. So now we have in our story, we have a villain, Herod. He, he wants to destroy Jesus, a madman that would stop at nothing to protect his own throne and his reign. Now, if you want a little bit about Herod the Great, uh, you can read, and historians have this documented. You can read Josephus and others. Herod was a pretty, um, I don't know, crazy individual. You read about him. Josephus makes it pretty clear he was impulsive, paranoid, and ruthless about losing his kingdom to the point of he, mar- he, he murdered one of his ten wives. He murdered his brother-in-law. Um, he, he had two of his sons executed just before his death for a charging of, of treason that he thought they were, um, they, were, they, were, they were charged with treason. He executed his third son. Um, I mean, he, he had no problem. So when you think about it, at the end of the day, Herod saying, hey, we want you to destroy all the newborn sons under the age of two in, in a little back, back road town of Bethlehem. You think he cares about killing some children under the age of two? He killed half of his own family. And this is who's after Jesus. Now, a little context. Most scholars believe that, that, that this wasn't a mass genocide of many, many, many children, maybe not even a couple dozen that the size of Bethlehem, it would probably only have been a few children at that age that he had killed that were there. And so you have Herod here who hates Jesus and hey, he doesn't want the Jewish king to come or the, the Messiah to come, so he's looking to have him killed. But God steps in and intervenes, which he always does in his great sovereignty and his plan. And he sends a messenger to Joseph with very specific instructions in a dream. He says, hey, at the end of the day, I want you to take Jesus and I want you to take Mary. I want you to flee to Egypt and stay there until I send another messenger that the coast is clear. And this isn't the first time that, that, that Joseph has gotten instructions, right? He already had an angel come to him and say, hey, I want you to keep Mary as your wife, even though you think she's been unfaithful. This child is from the Holy Spirit. And so now here again, the messenger comes to, G, to, to Joseph, excuse me, and he receives the instructions. Did you hear God from the other day or take a few days? Um, at the end of the day, did you hear Joseph, excuse me, in the text? He, what I find fascinating is, he, did you hear him take a couple of days to process what God said? Go, go, go talk to some friends. Like, I think I heard God say this. Um, I know God says this in his, in his word. But, like, I need you to confirm that to me. Um, Did he pray about it because he knew exactly what God had said? No, he he clearly hears God. He gets up that night. He doesn't even wait till morning. 
He gets up that night, immediately responds in obedience to what the Lord has spoken to him. No delay, no hesitation, no second guessing. He, he just did what the Lord had said. Man, at the end of the day, how much can we just learn from the story of Joseph? Where we, in all reality, and many times, where we hear directly from the word of God, I'm not talking about you woke up in the middle of the night and you had a dream that God said to sell your home, move to Ghana, and be a missionary. If God did that, I believe he can. Absolutely. I'm talking about steady. This was unmistakable by Joseph. He had the clear instruction from the Lord. This wasn't something random. He knew what the Lord had called, us, called him to. And the same time, how many times in our own life do we have clear instruction of what God says? God says, hey, repent and be baptized. And then there's tons of people within the context of our church who have repented, placed their faith and trust in Jesus, but they're unwilling to step into the waters of baptism. They're still discussing with their friends and, and praying about it and what it looks like when God's word clearly says, repent and then be baptized. There's very clear moments in scripture where it talks about what we should do and how we should love others and how we should respond to authority over us and, and how we should raise our children and what we should do with our finances and all the things that are very clear cut in scripture. And how many times do we find ourselves delaying, making excuses, not wanting to follow through what God had said. And we place ourselves in real danger, like Joseph would have if he wouldn't have obeyed the Lord. You see, some of you have heard God's voice. You know what he says in his word. It's been confirmed by the Spirit of God convicting you in your own heart. Or maybe even people placed in your life, and we're still dragging our feet to walk in obedience to what God has for us. Can I just ask you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? And how long will you delay? Until death is at the doorstop, like if Joseph would have, until his voice gets quieter and quieter and quieter because we're suppressing and pushing down the still small voice and conviction of the Lord through the word of God. And I get why we hesitate, honestly. I hesitate often myself. I get why we often drag our feet. Because I guarantee you, it wasn't convenient for Joseph to wake up in the middle of the night, take his wife and his young child, and travel on a dangerous road probably in the middle of the night. It was a little uncomfortable. After all the scandal they've already received as a family, right? They're probably like, man, we know Joseph isn't, they're not even married, but they have a child. Imagine all of that. And in all of this, he's still obedient. You see, God's path of deliverance for us, God's path of obedience for us often isn't comfortable. It isn't always clean cut. It isn't always the easiest path. But at the end of the day, where we find freedom, deliverance, goodness, satisfaction, and all that God all we long for in Christ is in walking in obedience. But so many times, myself include. I hesitate. I don't walk in obedience like Joseph. What does that look like for you today? To walk in obedience to what God has told you, what you know is true. Now, the family's obedience, uh, Joseph's obedience was pretty significant. It was much more. It was doing much more than they could ever realize in their time. 
You see, Matthew says that their escape eventually uh, um, and their eventual return was a fulfillment, actually, of Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1, where the prophet wrote this. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, this is fascinating because at the end of the day, this is now in this moment, Jesus, a fulfillment of Hosea, but also there's a fulfillment of their time. You see, a little background, I don't get too much teaching, but this is all important. At the end of the day, Hosea was a prophet to the northern tribes of Israel around 740 BC. You remember after King David, there was a split in the nation of Israel and the northern kingdom was made up of 10 tribes of Israel and the southern kingdom, which is then took on the name of the greatest tribe of the two left was called Judah. So you had Israel and Judah, these two tribes. And Hosea served as a prophet to the northern kingdom, and he was a messenger of God, and he brought about a lot of messages of, of, of not some great things, right, of judgment and of promised discipline and exile, but he also brought about good news of redemption and restoration. That's what we read here, even, that out of Egypt, he was going to call his son. Now, you back up to Mary and Joseph. Egypt might not have been, like, in their mind, in their plans or the greatest place for them. But actually at that time, in God's sovereignty, Egypt was a very friendly place to Israelites, Jews, and it was a large population or center of dispersed Jews that lived there at the time. And so they lived there and they probably sold the, the, the gold, the frankincense and myrrh to live on while they were there as God was providing for them in every way. When you actually read through the stories of the Gospels of Jesus' infancy, the narratives there, we find several parallels between the birth of Moses and the birth of Jesus. This is where the Bible is so cool. And if you think you have the Bible figured out, you don't. I mean, look at these parallels at the end of the day. We see God intervene. Remember the story of Moses? Moses floated down a river in order to be delivered as God is intervening to save the life of Jesus. We see rulers attempting to uh, thwart God's will by slaughtering innocent Jewish or, or Hebrew children, right? You remember when the Pharaoh ordered that the midwives were to kill the newborn Hebrew boys at Moses' time, but Moses was saved? We see the flight of Moses and his return um, due to the hearing of God, if you remember the burning bush, right? Moses flees, God meets him there and says, hey, go back, you're going to be my mouthpiece, you're going to be my messenger, Right? And there's some arguing between Moses and Jesus, or God. You see, Jesus, in one sense, is the new Moses. Now, hang on to this. This is super important. He fulfills um, all of the events by revealing them here in this way. He's saying the same God that watched over Moses and kept him safe is the same God who's watching over Jesus and protects his family from the evil plot. And Jesus is showing here he's a new and better and greater Moses. Moses led the people of Israel out of, the, uh, out of captivity and bondage and led them to the promised land. And Jesus, the new Moses, is leading us out of captivity into the ultimate promised land. This is the picture that he's portraying here. He's saying Jesus fulfills all of this. Just like what happened to Moses is now happening to Jesus. This is what we call a typological fulfillment. It's a type of Moses. Jesus is a type. And it connects Jesus' life not only to Moses, but also to the entire people of Israel. Now look at this. This is pretty fascinating. You see, Moses sees that the old Mosaic exodus 
is repeated in a fulfillment in a new way through Jesus. It's not just that Jesus is like Moses. He's a new and better deliverer, as I actually said already, that Jesus is the embodiment actually of Israel itself, a new and better son. You remember what he said? He said, out of Egypt, I'm going to call my son. Well, it was also fulfilled in, in Hosea's day because he was calling Israel out of Egypt, who was called his son. Matthew's saying this picture of, of Exodus is now seen in Jesus. It's a picture of the nation of Israel when God first established his people on Mount Sinai and called them my son, that the people of Israel are called my son. And then we read at Jesus' baptism, what do we read? That God himself comes down and the spirit hovers over him as he comes out of the water and he says, this is my what? My beloved son. And he's showing that Jesus is now even a, a better and greater in fulfillment of Israel. All of this, what I'm trying to do and show you is that all of it points us to one of the central themes in all of the Bible itself, that we all need to recognize that we are in great need of deliverance, and that deliverance only comes through one name. His name is Jesus. That's it. The, the story of Scripture, the Bible story, is ultimately God's story, but it's also our story. It's where we find ourselves. And I'll just tell you, forever who's watching online or anyone in this room, it, it, you and I are not the hero of the story. We're, we're the convict. We're, the, we're those that are locked up outside of ourselves. We can't do anything about it. At the end of the day, we're not the hero. Jesus is the hero. We're not the redeemer. We're not the savior. We're the ones that are in desperate need of liberation and, and, and deliverance. And a savior. Ephesians 2 1 speaks to the sand. He's, Paul writes, he says, And you are dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once live. All, that's everybody, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And by nature, we were children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Uh, this is a quick the teaching time on Greek, the word dead in Greek means just what? Dead. You weren't partly alive. You weren't like just enough alive that you could bring yourself back. At the end of the day, you were dead. I was dead. There was nothing we could do to make ourselves alive. Only through Jesus. Romans, Paul also writes in chapter 3 and verse 22, For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of the story of Christmas, every human being, ourselves included, and those all over the world, those in desperate need of rescuing all over the globe, which we just actually looked at, at the end of the day, every one of us is in desperate need of deliverance from sin and, and from death through the deliverance of the Son, Jesus Christ. If you read the rest of that passage in Romans chapter 3 and verse 22, it says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We often stop there. But it goes on and said, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's not a redemption found in me. It's not a redemption found in you. It's not a redemption found in good works. It's not a redemption found in doing good deeds. It's none of that. It's only found in Jesus. So my question for you today, whether you join us online or you're in this room, have you recognized the need that you have? 
Have you recognized that you are in need of deliverance? That the story of Christmas goes on to share of the story of Easter where Christ gave his life on the cross, rose from the grave, and we experienced new life because of that. It was costly to Jesus. And following and responding to the, to the voice of God in obedience isn't always convenience. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's costly. It's not always comfortable. At the end of the day, there's something amazing you and I will find in responding to the good news, the voice of God in obedience. It's what Moses found in the people of Israel in the Exodus. It's escape, it's deliverance, it's freedom, it's joy. And today, if you're here and you've never recognized your need for deliverance today, whether you're online or in this room, I want you to recognize today that you're in desperate need of deliverance and long ago, Jesus came so that you might be delivered from your sin and brokenness and be reconciled back to God. And, and believer in this place, can I just press on this a little bit? Man, at the end of the day, this is why we celebrate. This is why. And to go back to my original opening uh, illustration, I tell you what, when, when someone in another country comes back from being held captive for eight months or years and they come home, what do they do? What do they do? I promise you they're celebrating. I promise you their family's throwing a party for them. I promise you they're, they're coming together and like, man, I didn't think I was ever going to get out of the pit I was in. Can I tell you, what do we do? As followers of Jesus, man, does it look like in our life that we live a life of celebration and giving back glory to God because what he's done has done something that we could never do within ourselves and he's brought us out of brokenness, out of death, and brought us to life and deliverance. And that's why we come into this place and we sing, you're the way maker, not you're the way maker. I don't care if you have a good voice or a bad voice. We're making a joyful noise to the Lord because he has delivered us. He's brought us into life. That's why we give back a portion of what he's given us in generosity so that other people can experience deliverance. And that's why we invite people to Christmas Eve, have conversations with them spiritually so that they might experience deliverance. That's why we walk in obedience because we've experienced deliverance. Follower of Jesus, please don't leave here today and think, man, this is just about the person next to me that doesn't know Jesus. Today is about you. It's about me. Responding to the deliverance that we've experienced of Christ coming after each one of us. Well, not only recognizing our need for deliverance, but, <coughs> excuse me, we have to receive our call back home. Look with me in verses 19 to 21. We'll come back to verses 16 and 18 next week. I want to look at verses 19 to 21 with us. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 19, But when Herod had died, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the children, took the child, excuse me. I just messed up the whole Christmas story. Wait, there was children? <laughs> Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who saw the children's life are dead. And he arose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. It's beautiful. God kept his promise. 
The angel of the Lord said to Joseph, go there and remain there until I tell you otherwise. And now here God comes back and gives him exactly what he needs to hear. Most scholars believe that was maybe about a year or less. It wasn't a super long period of time that they lived there. And as I said before, they believe that they actually lived off of what the Magi had given them in the very expensive gifts to survive, that God in his goodness had it all mapped out and perfect. And in this passage, we find another typology, another type of Christ here. As God calls his son out of Egypt, and they return home with his family. Again, the, the language echoes that of Exodus chapter 4 and verse 9, where the Lord tells Moses in Midian, God says, back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. He says, go back to Egypt. Everybody who wanted to kill you, Moses, is dead. And again, Joseph hears from God, immediately responds in obedience. And, and here we see that picture. You see, a little background at the end of the day. In, in the days of Moses, God's people were exiled in Egypt. So you have a number of different exiles within the story of God. When Hosea shared his prophecy, the northern kingdom of Israel was about to go into exile in Assyria. And then... Later, Jerusalem was conquered, and the southern kingdom of Judah went into exile in Babylon. Seventy years later, the Hebrews actually return home, and here, in this moment, they rebuild and dedicate the temple in Jerusalem. You might say, well, why is that significant? Well, along with Exodus, where the people of God are led out of Egypt by the hand of Moses, the leader that God has given them, this return to home is understood to be one of the most important events in the history of the Old Testament people of Israel. Why? When they get to return home and build the temple and all of that, why is it significant? It's significant because a return home was a return to God's presence for them. God's presence was understood to rest on the holy temple of Jerusalem. So on the Temple Mount, you could go there now, Right now, there rests a, a mosque on the Temple Mount in Israel. And the people of Israel there are still weeping that one day God will rebuild his temple again on the Temple Mount. But the Temple Mount there is where Abraham, this is why it's significant for the people of Israel. Abraham offered his son Isaac there, and God provided a ram. King David was set up a, an altar there and prayed that God's people would be delivered from the plagues. And it was there the Ark of the Covenant was actually kept which was a, was a sign of, at the end of the day, the presence of God. And sacrifices were offered there, and God dwelt there with his people. So the temple was actually a sign of God's restoring his relationship to his people. So you can imagine how significant that was for them when they got to go back to the temple mount, build the temple, and there now they're there again with the presence of God. So in the same way... That what, what it's showing is this typological connection to Jesus. Jesus' return to Israel was a sign that God was restoring his relationship with his people. He was, he was going back. That we, as the people of God, have been separated from the presence of God. And now, through Christ, we've returned from exile, and our relationship with God is fully restored. It's an unbelievable picture. Unbelievable. Hosea spoke about the time when God's people will return and come back. In Hosea 11 and verse 10, he says this, They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west, and they shall come trembling like birds 
from birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will return, I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. It's pretty amazing. I don't know what home's like for you. I, I hope home for you is a safe place. It's a place that you feel comfort and you feel like resting and it's not a tumultuous place or chaotic place. I always, Sarah and I always laugh, like when we come home, there's just something about being home. It doesn't matter. And you can go on this amazing vacation, being the greatest destination, the greatest food, the greatest people, all of that kind of stuff. But isn't it amazing when you get home and you're just in your own bed? Yeah, me and three people over there, it's awesome. It's just, it's just something significant about being home and being in your own place. When you walk through the door, man, you, you, the, the sound, the smell, the, just the whole idea of it at the end of the day, it's just your place where you rest. It's your home. It makes me even think about the prodigal son, right? As, when he thought it was great as he ran after everything in life. And once he actually got a real picture, it was like eventually he couldn't think about anything else than just going back home. Because there's something significant about it. And honestly, like the rest of us, there's seasons and times in life, maybe you're in one now. Maybe you join us online and it's been a season like that where we run after a lot of different things. We chase after the, the, the satisfaction of the things of this world. We, we chase after the freedoms that the world offers. We chase after all the things that God says, hey, at the end of the day, they will never fulfill you. And we chase after them anyways. And then we find our place often like the prodigal eating out of a place where the pigs eat and we long for a place like home. Come to our senses. Deep down, this is where I know that I belong. C.S. Lewis, if you never read him, you need to. He's unbelievable. He famously wrote these words when he says, if I find it in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Do you hear me on that? I want to read it again. Uh, if I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And we hear and know and experience this all the time where people all over the world who have all the stuff chase after everything in the world and they just want one more dollar or one more thing. They're not satisfied. And it's just a sign and a picture that this world was never meant to satisfy because we we're made for a different world, different kingdom. And I actually think there's a better way to say it. I think that it's not much necessarily about another world as it is about the person in that world. It's not necessarily about a place as we've talked about. It's more about a person, Jesus. And Matthew here is painting this unbelievable masterpiece and showing the fulfilled promises of God, prophecies that are meant to help us see Jesus is the only way to come back home. Jesus is the only way that draws us back. He's the only place where we'll see peace and we'll experience love and acceptance and significance and forgiveness and, and grace and purpose and belonging and security and the deepest longings of our heart met. So my question would be again is, will you receive your call to come back home? Just as Jesus, excuse me, in Jesus, God offers this escape from exile, restoration back to his family. And in Jesus, God is calling all of us to come back home. Will we receive the invitation? There's something about invitations for me. 
maybe for you as well. And you get a wedding invitation or a party invitation or whatever. Anybody else a procrastinator in this place? We've got a few company. I know that when I respond to an invitation, it means that I have to go. And sometimes I don't like to be tied down. Something else might come up or whatever it might be. And so you hesitate to respond because once you respond, there's ramifications that come with that response. I think for so many of us in this room, we walk about our days. We go through on every single day walking through life. And there's seasons of life where we have wandered. Maybe you're here today where you've wandered and you, you're, you're, you come here and you look great and well put together. Maybe you dress better than everybody else in this room. But behind the scenes, man, your life is chaos and a wreck and you've chased after everything else in the world thinking that it's going to satisfy or one thing or a few things or whatever it may be. And at the end of the day, well, the thing that, that prevents you from responding to the invitation of God to come back home like the prodigal is that it comes with ramifications is that when I accept the invitation to come back home, I actually have to start walking towards home. I actually have to do something. And I don't know where you're at today. Maybe today, as you sit in this place, there's a recognition, as I started off with saying, like Joseph, you're just not walking in obedience. And God is inviting you to come back home, to restore, to, to walk in obedience. But you know if you accept that invitation today, it comes with ramifications that I actually have to do something. Today, my prayer is that you would walk in obedience and respond to the invitation of God. Man, if you're here today and you've never experienced a relationship, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, here or online, today my invitation is for you to come back home. The only way to do that is through Jesus. He made a way, starting on Christmas, all the way to Easter, and conquering sin, death, and hell for you and I, that we might be able to come back home. And you are desperately in need of restoration and forgiveness, will you come? Would you stand to your feet? We're going to close out today by singing of the glories and the beauty of the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. As we sing, I would ask that you would consider where you are and how you respond to Jesus today. Jesus is alive. He's our living hope. He made a way for us. To respond to him. Today, if you sit in your sin, you've never experienced forgiveness of your sins, you are in desperate need of the restoration, the forgiveness of God. Today, you can respond to that. After, while well, the music plays, you can come down front, I'll meet you here. You can come to the prayer room afterwards or come downstairs afterwards, see myself or Alex or someone else. We'd love to process with you what it looks like. For all of us in this room, may we be walking in full obedience with God. And may we process in this moment as I pray the small areas, the great areas that we need to be restored and come back home in Jesus Christ to walk with him. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the hope that we have in you, that you are a living hope. Thank you, Jesus, for all that we experience in you and your goodness that you give us. Thank you for the picture of Christmas at this time, for the joy that was set before you, that you went on to the cross to give your life for us, that we might experience restoration, acceptance, forgiveness, joy, and all the things that come with you. Be with each one of us, Lord, as we process and consider what it looks like for us to respond to you. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.